Hi everyone, I'm Tavid Nasir, and this is Leadership Biz Cafe, a podcast that explores some of the challenges and opportunities leaders face in today's increasingly complex, fast-paced, and interconnected global market. Leadership Biz Cafe is brought to you by Tavid Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that provides both virtual and in-person leadership keynotes, corporate trainings, and consulting services that will help you to improve the way you lead. To learn more about our services and some of the companies and organizations we've had the pleasure to work with and what they have to say about our work, visit our company's website at tavidnasir.com. And while you're there, check out my award-winning internationally acclaimed leadership blog as well. And now, let's be my guest for this episode, Dan Pontefract. If we're not recognizing the fact that A, we're human being and B, that we need help in being human beings, how are we supposed to lead others or ourselves if we're not being relatable to that like succinct point? If you've listened to just a handful of episodes of my leadership podcast, then I'm sure you've come to appreciate that one of the overarching messages I'm trying to convey through this podcast is that your leadership is not about you. It's about the people you have the responsibility to lead and how you can help inspire and empower them to do their life's work. It's for this reason I'm delighted to welcome my friend and proud fellow Canadian Dan Pontefract to the show. Dan is the founder and CEO of the Pontefract Group, a firm that improves the state of leadership and organizational culture. He's also an adjunct professor at the University of Victoria Gustavuson School of Business and an absolute raving fan of the Canadian rock band The Tragically Hip. Oh, and Dan is also the best-selling author of four books, including his latest, Lead, Care, Win, which is what Dan and I will be speaking about today, and possibly some other things as well. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe. I'm glad we finally got around to having a conversation on leadership here on my podcast. Oh, my gosh. I don't know why it took so long, but uh, you are always in my thoughts. You're such a, a curious, thoughtful writer. And here we are. Uh, it took a pandemic to bring our, our heads together, but I really thank you for the invitation, my friend. Uh, It's my pleasure. And just to bring our listeners up to speed here, Dan, you and I have collaborated on several occasions. You wrote a piece for my leadership blog a few years ago. And last April, you invited me to speak at your online event, SpeakAid, which raised funds for the Red Cross and Red Crescent to help with their efforts to aid those impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, How much did that raise, by the way, Dan? You raised quite a sizable amount. Well, first of all, thank you for your volunteerism, uh, because uh, if the listeners here don't know, uh, the speakers like Tanvir, who is amazing, uh, donated their time, uh, 60 minutes of raw gold. And uh, through the the other speakers of that week, we uh, ended up raising just over $33,000 and uh, one fat check went over to uh, Red Cross, Red Crescent Society. So thank you, my friend. Oh, my pleasure. And, uh, you know, what a phenomenal job you did with that. And there's another reason why it was important for me to have you on my show here is because you and I are both Canadian and we both went to McGill here in my hometown, Montreal, all of which is to say, my friend, that this was inevitable. It just couldn't be helped. See, the the powers of be that said these two one day are going to be connected on the Biz Cafe. Here we are. Well, I do have my requisite cup of Tim's. This is supposed to be a virtual coffee shop chat, and I know this is going to be a fun conversation, my friend. Absolutely. I I don't even know where we're going to go, but I know it's going to be fun. 
Perfect. So, Dan, before we dive into your book, I would like to ask you a question about the title. Now, the title of your book is Lead, Care, Win, with a period instead of a comma after each of these words. Now, I guess it's the writer in me, but I couldn't help but notice this punctuation choice you made as, for me at least, this makes me see these three words as verbs, as calls to action instead of a cascading series of steps. So that's my interpretation, but I'm curious to know how you see it and how you want readers to understand it. What an astute observation, Tender. It's really, honestly, you're the first one to come up with that uh, question. And that's specifically why I decided to put the punctuation there. Also, as a sidebar, it is called Lead Care Win, but there was a running title. Uh, I was putting an S at the beginning of care and calling it Lead Scare Win because that's how all leaders typically tend to, to operate. They scare their team to win, but uh, we took the S out and went with care. <laughs> it's just a little joke, just a little joke. <laughs> so, so, the, so the punctuation piece. Um, in my book titles, I like to sort of, uh, I guess, you know, um, push the reader to think through what the title actually means so that it's not quite uh, as explicit. And, and this being my fourth book, I, 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 I tried to do that both with the punctuation and with sort of the order of the words. And, and some folks have questioned me, oh, Dan, you're, you're the guy that says that, uh, you know, there's, there's, there shouldn't be, you know, any, any hierarchy. No, I don't. I say there has to be hierarchy, but we could be flatter in the way in which we operate, a little more open in our culture. Uh, you got win in your title. Are you telling us that leadership is all about winning? You know, is it winning in the bottom line? Is it winning in the revenue? Is it? No, actually, it's not. So the way I, I look at it is twofold. First of all, to your point, the punctuation there is to specifically call it the verbs. Each of those are verbs. But uh, the way in which that I, I, I looked at it was, I want people to think uh, a little bit differently. I want them to actually do a work back. So when we do work backs, as you and I do, when we are working on projects, et cetera, we look at what the end date and the end result ought to be. And then we work back to where we are today and say, oh, look, we've got six months to do this project. How are we gonna you know, do the things between the end date, the end goal and today? Well, here's, I, I kind of employed that in the book title. So what does win mean? So I'm working backwards. If the, if the end result is to win, what are we trying to win? Where do I get my trophy? What is the win, Dan? Well, the win is the hearts and minds of your people, those that you serve. To win, you need to employ way more caring in your leadership. So <laughs> it's a really convoluted answer, but the punctuation is there to remind people, these are verbs. To win the hearts and minds, you should care in your leadership. And then working it the other way, you lead care to win. You know, Dan, I did not expect that answer, but I'm so glad that I asked the question because that is such a fascinating way to look at it. And I know for some people, you know, again, that's that whole question of, well, if we're going to say we win and it's about winning people's hearts, isn't it about, you know, achieving our targets or isn't it about achieving our goals? But that's really just the end outcome and the way you're really going to do it. And more importantly, what's going to allow you to get to the next chapter is that the fact that, as you said, you've won the hearts and minds of those you lead, meaning that they're invested. 
They're invested in your leadership as much as you are because they know you are going to be taking them places where they need to go and where they want to go and perhaps even places they didn't expect to go, but which will help them in their own lives in terms of their growth, in terms of what they wish to achieve. And so in that case, yes, it really is about winning the hearts and minds, which ultimately allows you to be the true leader. So what a great answer. I'm so glad I asked that question. Uh, it was frankly a little bit for me, like kind of like, okay, it's a, it's a writer's question. It's a little bit odd. It's a little bit different from what I normally ask uh, my guests, but I just couldn't help but want to ask you that. And now I'm so glad I did. Me too. And I want to touch on something else that you just uh, iterated there. And, and that was the, the use of the word outcomes. And, and that's exactly, I think, where we need to get to as a leadership culture, both leading self and leading others. So what's an outcome? Well, if you're a publicly traded company, the stock price going up or down, frankly, is an outcome. Uh, if you're a small, medium-sized business, your revenues and your profitability is an outcome. It's an outcome from what? Well, it's from the people who drive the culture that uh, operate the business that um, in a public sector or, you know, health organization, let's say that, you know, tend to the citizens or the patients, et cetera. And so where, where does that come from? It's inculcated by the way in which we treat people. So if, if the way I've, whether I've been at TELUS or SAP or elsewhere on this planet in these roles, I've always tried to urge leaders to look at the outcomes as, you know, the metrics, the results of how you operate uh, within the culture, within the leadership, within the psyche, if you will, of, uh, of your team or organization. And you know what? I think you've given me the perfect opportunity to dive into one of the leadership lessons you share in your book, Dan. And the first one that I want to discuss with you is the lesson, be relatable. And the reason I want to discuss this first with you is because of this line you write in this chapter, the more relatable you are, the better things will be. Now, what struck me about this line is how it reveals a key reason why we're seeing so much division and hostility over such trivial things as the necessity of wearing a mask to protect one another during this global pandemic. Now, fortunately, we're starting to see the end of the light of this tunnel where we know wearing masks and social distance measures will no longer be necessary. But this doesn't mean that this divisiveness will just magically go away. On the contrary, I unfortunately expect that it will simply move on to something else unless... We recognize, as you point out in this chapter, that all of us make mistakes, we make misguided assumptions, and our unwillingness to admit when we get things wrong and change our understanding of things or of people only serves to drive this wedge even deeper. Thankfully, I know, and I'm sure you've heard too from some of your speaking engagements, and as I've heard from some of mine I've done over this past year, is that many leaders are starting to recognize that how they see things and how their employees see things is becoming more and more out of sync. And I think their ability to recognize this is a result of the rise in remote working or working from home that is amplifying this discrepancy. So how do we ensure we're being relatable in our leadership and why is the way we treat and view our mistakes so intertwined with it? Well, well, first of all, what a wonderful question. I, each of us, you, me, and leaders, team members are human beings. So let's start there. What does it mean to be a human being? Well, we have highs and lows. We have off days. We have great days. Uh, we have families. We have death. We have birth. We, we all go through the emotions of, uh, you know, what Gordon Downey used to say was uh, our, our path to the waterfall. We're all on a journey to the waterfall, which is the metaphor for your life span, essentially. 
And, and so we're going to make mistakes. Uh, we're going to hopefully apologize for those mistakes. We have to own up to them. We don't know everything. Human beings are um, a finite resource in terms of what they can compute and, and hold in their brain. So if we're not recognizing the fact that A, we're human being and B, that we need help in being human beings, how are we supposed to lead others or ourselves if we're not being relatable to that like succinct point? So I, I start there. I mean, I, I also say and, and have suggested many years, for many years, sorry, that uh, we're, we're not in the people business, we're in the relationship business. And relationship is about humanity. It's about empathizing of your fellow citizen, what they're going through. Uh, it's about sympathizing and doing something about it to help your, your neighbor, your team member, your citizen. And, and that is really the spirit of being relatable. Looking in the mirror and saying, I'm fallible, uh, but then breaking that mirror, if you will, and saying, I don't just want it to be about me. Uh, there are other human beings in which uh, either looking up, uh, look up to me, sorry, or that um, I'm trying to, to foster relationships with. So what can I do to be human in the, both the resurrection and the nurturing of those relationships? Mm. I think it's also worth noting that it's not so much that leaders deny making mistakes as it is that they make those justifications to skirt around having to really apologize for their mistake that they'll rationalize how you have to see it from my vantage point or how they have to say or do this because of X, Y, and Z. And that unwillingness to acknowledge and say, you're right. I messed up here. I dropped the ball and I'm sorry. I let you down. I think it's in part a self-protection reflex, but I also think it's a part of a scarcity mindset that to go back to your description of your title about the win that for one of us to be right or to win one of us has to be wrong or lose and when you see things from that vantage point frankly i think everyone loses because you're not going to inspire and get the best out of those you lead which is why i loved your explanation because now we're seeing win not so much in that scarcity mindset of you're going to have to sacrifice something for me to get that win. I'm going to have to demand this of you and you're going to have to accept that I'm not going to apologize for whatever I have to do to get you to do that because I need it to win. Whereas now if I'm thinking about it more in the context of I'm going to apologize for those mistakes because the win is not about me being right. It's about making sure I'm doing right by you that I'm winning your hearts and mind. Uh, that was a better answer than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I was just working off of what you just said. Dan. <laughs> well, so if we look like, like let's, let's add to it. Um, you know, one of, one of my favorite words ever uh, is compromise and, you know, compromise really is, 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 is obviously the, the makeup of two words. It's the togetherness of a promise. So that's calm, which is together Latin, right? And, and prometer, it's promise. So if we're together in the promise of, of doing something, of achieving something, of recognizing each other's differences, uh, that's us coming together. And as opposed to the echo chamber of what I believe to be right for us to win, without you know, um, stepping up out of that proverbial foxhole and saying, 
hey, what, what, what's on your side of the human equation here? What, do you, what's, what, what are you feeling? Can I appreciate and understand your side, if you will, better than, than I do now? That's also another relatability skill is compromise. It's coming up together and saying, what's the promise of us to move forward? Nice. I like that. And, you know, Dan, I'm just thinking here, uh, I'm wondering how many of our listeners might be smiling at the fact that here are two Canadians talking about the importance of leaders owning up to their mistakes by saying, sorry, <laughs> we're, really, we're really living up to that Canadian stereotype. Eh? <laughs> Hold on. My mouth is full with a donut. Let me just uh, swallow. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay, Dad. So the, the, the next lesson from your book that I wanted to talk to you about is the lesson, stay present, because I think it builds on what we've been discussing so far, but also because it reflects one of the leadership principles I write about in my book, Leadership Vertical, which I call Develop Competence. Now, in this lesson, you address the problem leaders have with managing their time, specifically that they're not only really bad at it, but they're focusing on the wrong thing and that it's not how well you manage your time as it is how you manage your behavior and how mindful and focused you are, which I think helps build your relatability as you're now more self-aware of what your actions and words are giving rise to. So how do leaders make this pivot, Dan, from worrying about managing their time to being more intentional about managing their behavior in terms of how present they really are? Hmm. Well, I mean, first of all, there, there is no such thing as time management. And I think I say in the book something like uh, time adultery, perhaps. Um, and, and that's my point is that, you know, it's a behavior. You, you have to take a look at how you're behaving with the allocation of your 168 hours a week. I mean, that's the one true promise that we all are given each week is we have 168 hours. What are you doing with it? And so, you know, when I uh, have the pleasure of, and, and very humbly uh, working with leaders and executives, et cetera, you know, one of the first things I'll often do is, is ask them, um, can I see your calendar? And, you know, under NDA, it's like, you know, I get that part, but I asked them, I said, so, and inevitably, Tamir, what you see in Monday to Friday is back to back to back to back to back to back to back, right? And it's, it seems to be either 30 minute meetings or 60 minute meetings. They're never 20 or 45 with breaks in between just to collect their thoughts. There's never, you know, me time, as I call it at least, uh, which is the, the preservation of time for yourself to think, compute, ponder, marinate, uh, relax, even maybe go for a walk. Uh, so we, we tend to use Google Calendar, Apple, Outlook, whatever, and we just look at it and like, oh, let's fill it up. And I, I don't see that um, when I analyze the calendars, I don't see that uh, most for the most part being very analytical use of time because they're just tend to be meetings. And yes, I'm not naive enough to, to suggest that you're, you don't have one-on-one -on -one meetings and that you shouldn't have those. Those are great opportunities for coaching and mentoring, et cetera. Look, I get that. But when I ask the next level of time audit, have you audited, you know, how you're using those meetings? Like, do you have any sense of how many one-on-ones you have? Do you have any sense of how many project meetings you're in? Do you have any sense of how many, you know, executive level meetings you've got on your calendar to prepare for the next executive? Like they, no one seems to actually look at the calendar and say, yeah, I'm completely 
well up on how I'm spending my time. So I say, look, to stay present is actually you analyzing your behavior. But then if you're so privileged to lead others, Tanvir, you really have to then go to the next level and say, well, how am I going to audit? I know it's a strong term, but that's the point. How am I going to audit the team to understand how they're using their time? Because a caring leader will know you know, the, the balance or the lack of a load balance on the team. They'll know how much time they're spending on overall projects. They'll know how much time that they're, they're working with customers or whatever the case may be. And if that leader doesn't know, then they're just essentially trickle downing their own lack of, um, of time behavior. And it just creates this festering preponderance of uh, time mismanagement, quite frankly. You know, Dan, I'm so glad you brought up this idea about me time. This is something I've also shared with leaders in my workshops and in my uh, keynotes where I talk about the importance of making time so you can build your self-reflection, your self-awareness. And it's something I've been advocating for years, but this year it really made it crystallize just how important it was because with the lockdowns that we experienced here in Montreal in the spring, suddenly we were all home. I mean, I was still having to work from home. Everyone was trying to work from home. My kids were trying to do their schoolwork from here. And yet suddenly I would be having a call with this client. I'd have a meeting with this team and so forth. Normally there would be the travel time, right? And the travel time in that process, I would allocate time. That was my time. That would be time for me to collect my thoughts. It would be time for me to things that came up in previous conversations that I wanted to touch base on and so forth. And just to make sure I was present. Now it's just, I click a button and boom, my Zoom call starts. I close it. I start the next one and there's no time for me to collect those thoughts. And it's only once you lose it. Cause I've always had this challenge with leaders saying it's so hard for me to, to your point, Dan, of the, the agendas being so full. I, I don't know where I can stick this in my day. And I say, look, you have to understand this is like having a meeting with your most important client. If you had a meeting with your post client, you know, you're going to shuffle things around to make space for it. This is what you have to do here. But this year really helped me also appreciate that the minute you start doing it, and then you stop, it gets interrupted, you're going to feel the difference in terms of your productivity, in terms of your creativity. I was having a hard time writing in that time, not because of a lack of ideas. It wasn't writer's block or anything, but it was just because I didn't have that space to just be alone in my thoughts and to just let these ideas and insights and things I had been talking to with leaders percolate so I could transform it into this idea that I could share here on my podcast or on my leadership blog because I didn't have that time. So I think this is such an important point, which again, if you're not doing it, you really should be doing it. And if you used to do it and you stopped, I'm sure you can very much relate to this pain point because I know the minute I started making it very intentional that I was putting it back in my thing and saying, no, no, I got to really block this off. I'd let my kids know now, Hey, look, this is <laughs> me time for them to understand what that meant. Right. Oh, okay. Bubba's it's his me time. Leave him be. And suddenly, you know, the creative juices just started flowing again. And it was like, I didn't miss a beat. So I'm so glad you brought this up, Dan, because I do think this is so important. And especially in that context, you're talking about here about staying present. You know, I, th I think part of the problem is that 
you know, there's the badge of honor still of being busy. And the pandemic has exacerbated that because of the isolationism and the, you know, the, the working from home alone kind of uh, residual after effect of the pandemic. And so, you know, the, the lack of the commute for one thing for many people has, has um, uh, siphoned off any of that me time. So, you know, let's just assume you listen to a podcast, yours, I hope, or you were able to just in your own thoughts, drive to work. That's gone because people are just walking 10 feet into a kitchen room or an office to be on Zoom or whatever. But also, you know, um, this, this notion that because I'm from home uh, by myself, I, 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 the leader, have to show that I'm kind of always on and I'm always busy. And I've seen this play out more and more and more over the last nine months or so. And I'm urging leaders to say, look, set the example by, uh, call it marinate in the moment time or your me time, as I've alluded to, like just demonstrate that leadership behavior so that it's okay for your team to not be back to back, that they can have marinate in the moment time, me time, that they are allowed and urged to go for a walk to even have, you know, uh, you know, don't do a Zoom call with a webcam. Have a walk and talk meeting with earbuds in your ears and just talking to people one on one or even in a con call back to those days. Like there's just other ways in which for us to step out of the, um, the disaster train that I see um, of being on all the time. And I worry about you know, the, the residual negative effect as, as the World Health Organization has said, that burnout is now on their list of, um, of issues to, to keep, a hold, to keep uh, aware of. So yeah, it scares me. It really does. You know, Dan, listening to some of the ideas you're sharing here makes me think of another lesson you write about in your book, namely the lesson of committing to balance. Because we've talked about how you need to be more humble and owning up to your mistakes. And we've talked about being more intentional in our behaviors, but this is really about the environment we're creating, either directly or indirectly through our actions and words. So what does it mean to commit to balance? Well, uh, it's one of those words, balance, uh, first of all, and we'll come back to commit, that I think we've ignored for a very long time. And so for me, balance is both the the what and the how of how of, of of your team of your organization even indeed so several of those uh commitments you need to think about from a balanced perspective is of course makeup w- what is the composition of your team uh is it of uh, one singular ethnicity, one singular gender, one singular mindset, one singular age, one singular socioeconomic uh, status and background. Like you just really have to take a look at the composition these days. And even if it's uh, starting with your team composition, fine. But also when you're thinking about leaders who are more senior, about team composition for you know, enterprise-wide projects or team-wide projects, et cetera, are you balancing, if you will, uh, men and women um, of, of whatever creed and background, et cetera, in the composition of those teams? Because you know as well as I do that when we have differing 
opinions, when we have differing mindsets, that is great when it comes to end results, camaraderie, chemistry, new ideas, innovations, thinking about uh, those are from uh, you know different differing backgrounds that might not be of the majority. That is fantastic for not just the culture of the team, but the end result of whatever it is the team or organization is working on. And that sort of lends itself to you know, the point I make about uh, like in stock portfolios, I hope people don't invest in one stock. It's a pretty horrific stra strategy. Uh, no doubt you'll, you'll end up over time not doing as well as you might as when you have, would have diversified your stock portfolio. Now, human beings aren't stocks. But the point is, if we're thinking about that uh, more balanced composition, we're, we're including um, much better uh, ways in which to say, oh, that's right. I have never ever asked First Nations or Indigenous folks for their opinion on this matter. I think I should now. And, and I might not have First Nations uh, employed at the organization. I'll work on that. I will. But at least maybe I should now start asking for their opinions and ideas outside of the company before we go and make decisions. And, and then you can kind of get into other aspects, Tanvir. Then you start saying, well, actually, have I committed to you know, a recognition strategy? What is a recognition strategy? Am I recognizing people? Now, if I am recognizing people, do I have a bias if I'm, say, uh, a white middle-aged man, that I'm only recognizing white middle-aged men? And, and being very truthful in the mirror of that analysis and saying, well, how is this organization recognizing people? Do, do, we, do we create groups in which we can recognize their, their differences from what is maybe, quote, the norm that we've been used to all the time? It is a, it's a difficult lesson. Um, it's, it's probably, for some, uh, weird that, a, again, a white middle-aged man is writing about this. But as, a, as an individual who has led teams of 150 people, been at big companies like TELUS and SAP, uh, pushing leadership development, helping other leaders uh, you know, with their own questions about uh, commitments to balance, I had to look at myself and say, huh, how did I do, Dan? You know, and I basically, I think I gave myself a, a B grade because it wasn't good enough. And so the commitment to balance for me is, is both a admonishment of that I could have done better, but also in hopes of being transparent and authentic. And I hope a bit sorrowful of that. I having no, looked in the mirror and said, I could, and I will do better as I move forward, urging others to, to maybe learn from my own mistake and say, Oh, how am I going to commit to balance better than maybe I have in the past? Right. And what I like about this is it kind of ties back to what we started discussing at the beginning about that leadership lesson of being be relatable, because a lot of this here is understanding that, you know, you've made mistakes. Like in your case, you're realizing I could have done more. And by owning up to that mistake, we're making ourselves be relatable. Now we can reach out and we can find people who have diverse experiences, diverse lifestyles and diverse viewpoints that can help us expand our understanding and awareness, which helps us make ourselves more relatable because now we can relate to a wider swath 
of people in our community, people who we serve through our organization's products and services. It's ultimately, to go back to the title of your book, it's a win-win for everyone because now we are not only acknowledging and addressing people who we might have otherwise overlooked indirectly or directly, but now we're collectively all benefiting because of this new awareness which, of course, goes back to that stay present notion we were talking about. I love the organic nature of this conversation right now. <laughs> but it shows how when we tie these things together, it really helps living up to the the very notion of your title of your book and your explanation of it, where we're going to win as leaders because we're starting from perspective of how do I make sure that I am caring about the people I lead, the people I serve, whether it's our clients or whether it is my employees, and consequently through doing that, become a better leader. Again, uh, hard to top that. And, and that's really the point is, you know, leaders of others are in a very privileged position of setting tone, uh, inculcating that sense of team, uh, how we will operate as one, because ultimately we hopefully are operating as a team. And, and when that leader uh, does not pay attention to the balance of the team because they are too busy, to your point about stay present, uh, that they, they don't think it's an issue. So it's kind of like lift up the rug and swipe it, and swipe it over there and put the rug back down, like uh, nothing to see here. If anything of this pandemic uh, we can learn from, it's that uh, leadership matters. And when we come out of this, whatever it is, I hope that, uh, you know, let's let's sidebar here for a second. Let's, for, for anyone in the world, but particularly some of the U.S. listeners, I mean, whether it's Breonna Taylor or George Floyd, the, the civil issues and unrest that, uh, that, that seemingly kind of woke up a lot of folk, um, you know, in April, May, June of this year, I don't want that to be lost. It's just not a moment. It's that we need to do something about it. So, you know, how are you committing to balance? How are you making changes for the betterment of, as I say, those behaviors on your team that allow, or your organization that allow it to, to prosper in a more humane way? Wholeheartedly agree. And I would add to it, I think that even here in Canada, we're a wonderful country. I'm, I'm sure you're like me and loving our country and have mad respect for our values and what we stand for. But I do know and appreciate that we also have work that we need to roll up our sleeves with and to build on your point that this doesn't become a moment, but really is something that we will take to heart just to very much following the nature and the theme of your book and say, let's do something about this. Let's make this our, our call to action. And, you know, as I pointed out, actually, at the start of our conversation, that's pretty much what the Tyler book comes across. It really is feels like a call to action. And as we've been saying throughout this whole conversation, one of those calls to action is to get leaders to care. And I could tell you, Dan, the people who listen to this podcast certainly care. They care about their leadership craft and they care about making sure they're doing right by their employees, which is why they tune in to hear me talk with fellow leadership experts like yourself so they can improve the way they lead. So thanks for coming to my show, Dan, so we can help move our listeners one step closer to reaching that goal of being the kind of leader they're not only meant to be, but the kind of leader their employees need. 
And hey, look at that. We didn't even talk about hockey or the hip. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's always a second podcast. We could just do that another day, my friend. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's definitely a, a whole other episode. Dan, always a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, my friend, for the wonderful conversation. Uh, thanks for the invite, but really uh, right back at you. What you do for so many different leaders, teams, individuals, uh, you're a true treasure in this country of ours. And uh, I know the world uh, enjoys you over. So thank you for, for that, my friend. Very, very kind of you. Back at you, my friend. You know, one of my favorite things to do is being able to showcase the talents and insights of people in the leadership sphere who I'm also honored to call my friend. Not only does it give rise to some genuine, heartfelt conversations and introspection, but a few good laughs that hopefully put a smile on your face as it did mine. So, if you've enjoyed hearing about Dan's book and would like to learn more, check out the show notes for this episode by visiting our podcast page at tavernasir.com slash LBC. And that's a wrap on this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, brought to you by Tavernasir Leadership. Now, if you enjoyed learning about this or other insights I've discussed here on my leadership podcast, and you'd be interested in having me share them with your employees, I'd like to invite you to fill out the contact form on our website at tamfitnessseer.com so we can start that discussion. You can also check out my speaking page on our company website to learn more about my speaking services and the kinds of topics I cover. In the meantime, I'd like to encourage you to share this or other episodes of my podcast with your colleagues and employees. The easiest way to do this is to simply share a link to our show's podcast page at tavernasir.com slash LBC. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review my leadership podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And with that, I'm Tavernasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Leadership Biz Cafe.